Welcome. This is Anika Nicole, a certified spiritual life coach. You're listening to a Soulful Rebellion podcast. This show is here to help you overcome toxic religious programming so that you can live life more authentically. I coach people who are going through a spiritual awakening journey by helping them move past limiting beliefs, affirm their true identity, and walk according to their divine calling. If all that resonates, then this show is created especially for you. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Soulful Rebellion. This is your host, Anika Nicole. Today, I want to offer you some insights on religious or spiritual trauma. But before I go any further, I want to let you know that while I myself am a spiritual life coach, I do work that supports your mental health and overall well-being. I am not a licensed therapist or mental health professional. So the goal of this episode is for informational purposes only, and it is not a substitute for actual therapeutic help. My goal is to shed light on this issue so that you can have the clarity on the type of support that you need. And in listening, if you realize you may have experienced trauma, I encourage you to first seek the right form of support and know that I'm going to offer a few tips on where you can start on the path towards overcoming it. I find this topic important because often I have clients seeking support for me to work through trauma as it relates to their spiritual journey. So I believe it is important to deeply understand trauma so that you can determine the kind of support that you need. It is my opinion that it is better to seek healing from trauma from a licensed mental health therapist, a mental health professional first, then pursue coaching for support with the spiritual aspects of your life. Many people choose this option while others choose to do both at the same time. No one can make that decision for you, but if you already are in a therapy or in contact with a therapist, I encourage you to always check in with them to be informed on whether or not working with a spiritual life coach is in best interest for you at this moment. And one last caveat before I dive into this episode is that I wanna let you know that this is not a bash on religion or Christianity. I often make Christian references because that is my background. It is also not um, an attempt to convince you or anyone out there to believe anything outside of what truly convicts them. My only goal here is to shed light on the harm that is often inflicted in spiritual communities and to build awareness of it so that you can get the support that you need. Now let's talk about it. First, we're going to define spiritual abuse and spiritual trauma. These... um, These definitions come from therapist.com, so they're not my own definitions. So spiritual abuse is an an interpersonal experience between two people. Often the abuser is a religious leader attempting to control or manipulate someone lower in the religious hierarchy, such as a volunteer, community member, or visitor. It may be a parent using religion to abuse a child or a spouse drawing on religious doctrine to assert their right to dominate or control their partner. Religious trauma is a systemic experience between a person and their religion as a whole. Often the trauma is not linked to one specific person, but to a series of people over time who enforce a traumatizing message or fail to help when a traumatizing situation takes place. Now that you have an understanding of what is spiritual abuse and religious trauma, I want to talk about how to recognize the signs of religious trauma in a spiritual community or how to recognize signs of a harmful spiritual community. One is there will be no personal 
autonomy. Personal autonomy is your right to make your own choices, express your own beliefs, and live in alignment with your values. However, many religious communities leave little room for personal autonomy. Many members are strongly influenced or forced to adopt a given set of beliefs. This can have an impact on a person's mental and emotional well-being. Now, I want to be clear. Every religious institution in itself also has the right to form its own set of rules and principles by which to be governed. So I know many churches, for example, have what is called a doctrine or a creed. It's usually made public on their church programs or website. So this is done so that you can decide whether or not the church's values, doctrine or beliefs are principles that align with yours. I know many churches use the Apostles Creed or the Nicene's Creed. Many churches list a statement of beliefs um, up on their website or in their program. How do you know when a church is infringing upon your personal rights as an individual? I have a few examples to offer you. Of course, it's not the end-all be-all, but one is when it is enforcing a rigid set of beliefs and rules. Uh, An example of this could be telling you that in order to be a devout Christian or to profess yourself to be a profound Christian, you must read your Bible or do whatever given spiritual activity for an extreme amount of hours or time within a day. That could look like, okay, you have to read your Bible for one full hour each day and pray for 30 minutes every day. Another one is when their church doctrine is exalted above you, the human. So examples of what this could look like from my experience, these are examples from my experience, and some churches still have these today. Um, divorce is a sin, so you are unable to remarry. Or divorce is a sin, so it is better to stay with your abusive spouse than it is to divorce. The reason why this denies your own humanity, I remember perfect example. I hope my mom doesn't mind me sharing the story. Is that my mom became divorced and a single parent at a very young age, and I remember. One church that she went to had the doctrine that once, you, once you're married, you are never to marry again because the first person you married is supposed to be your life partner forever. Um, and to divorce that person is a sin. And if you choose to divorce, to remarry is also committing another sin. But of course, my mom being very young at the time and she had that <laughs> she never sat right with her so she never um adopted that belief for herself even though she still chose to attend that church at the time she still held on to the hope of marriage and of course now my mom has uh since we married another example is when there's no room to question or explore the faith or beliefs outside of the faith so this could look like telling you that christianity is the only right religion or say hearing things like you will go to hell for practicing any other religion or engaging in non-Christian practices. I mean, everyone has a right to have the conviction that their religious chosen religious path is, you know, what they deem to be the best, of course. Otherwise, you wouldn't be following it or doing that. But the challenge comes when there's like a demonization of other beliefs or other people that are following other traditions that are out there or within the tenets of that spiritual community or within the tenets of that faith, when you question things that does not align with you, you are spoken down to or in a condescending tone or manner about it. So the impact is that when you lack personal autonomy, it can lead to a sense of feeling powerless or a lack of self-worth, self-doubt, and not to mention depression and anxiety. If this is you, I'm here to tell you that you have full power and control over your own life And that you indeed have the wisdom and intelligence to make sound decisions. After all, God, the divine 
is within all of us and you only have to look within for answers. So another example of a toxic spiritual community or a harmful tactic that you may see in some spiritual community is that it encourages spiritual practices that are harmful to your physical and mental health. Many religious communities encourage individuals to practice certain, you know, rituals for spiritual growth, and that's okay. And that can be anything from prayer, meditation, reading sacred texts. Of course, there are others. So engaging in spiritual practices in and of themselves isn't harmful, but if you are being coerced and manipulated into doing them, or if it's harmful to your overall well-being, then it is a sign of abuse. So one example could be fasting, which is giving up food for a prolonged period of time. This can be anywhere from just a few hours to not eating for several days. There are so many people, even outside of the Christian faith, that practice fasting for religious and ritualistic purposes. So there's nothing wrong with fasting. However, fasting isn't safe for everyone. Some people have certain health concerns and conditions for which fasting would be detrimental to their health. So being in a community where there's a lack of understanding around that can be a problem for some of us. Also, not everyone is capable of fasting. Like I <laughs> I was in a religious community once, a Christian church, where fasting was heavily promoted and encouraged for deepening your spiritual path. So I'm very familiar with fasting. I fasted in the past before. But what I've learned from myself is that I cannot do long fasting. For example, one common practice, like especially within the new year um, and for different, you know, church conventions that had a certain purpose or goal, fasting was encouraged. And we would fast from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12 whole hours. Not for me. <laughs> I remember one time I even tried it. And by the time I got to that last hour, I was so weak. I could barely move. And that after that one time of my first time trying 12 hours of fasting, I was like, absolutely not. I can probably do an hour, a couple of hours, not 12 hours. So I made that decision myself, but there are also people that have like certain health concerns where fasting might not be the thing or helpful for them or can trigger or exacerbate their current underlying health issues. Another challenge or problem or sign of harm rather is spiritual bypassing. So spiritual practice can also be harmful in the case where spiritual bypassing is involved. Spiritual bypassing is the use of spiritual practices to solve medical and emotional issues. It's solely relying on prayer for healing of a medical condition, or it could look like using meditation as a way to heal a mental health condition. So, of course, we know spiritual practices are helpful for our overall well-being, but that doesn't mean that these spiritual practices should be um, in place of any medical or mental health treatment that you should be doing or giving yourself. And there are a lot of church communities that promote that and encourage that, that, oh, you don't need to go to the doctor, just pray about it. Or they'll say things like, oh, if you just meditate long enough or just show, you know, your faith, you know, show that your faith is really strong, you will heal or overcome that thing when indeed you need to be seeking actual medical or licensed professional support. This brings to mind this popular TV televangelist. This was back in like the 90s, early 2000s. And his name was Benny Hinn. And 
I remember so many people being awestruck by his self-proclaimed powers and abilities to heal people. And if you were Christian around this time and watch a lot of televangelists at this time, you may remember it, how people would walk on, it would be like this big sold out arena. People would walk on the stage and he would put his hand over them, barely touching them. And people would literally fall out and proclaim that they were healed. I think since there had been many stories that came out, the people would say that they did not indeed receive healing. I don't know. I'm not saying whether or not he did or didn't heal people. I'm not saying miracles are not a thing, if that's truly where your beliefs lie. But I encourage you to use wisdom. There's nothing wrong with leaning into spiritual practices to comfort us, to give us hope, or to help us manage emotions as we're going through difficult times. But it's also important to realize when we are using spirituality as an escape from life ups and downs. The impact of engaging in harmful spiritual practices or spiritual bypassing is the lack of advocacy for mental health. I have noticed in cases where there's evidence that someone is dealing with a mental health condition, where it is more easily written off as a demonic attack or a curse or a consequence of someone's sin. And the community will jump in and pray for a miracle healing when what is actually needed is licensed professional support for their mental health. Another impact is that it promotes an intolerance for people with disabilities. I have heard of, for example, people who are blind would have people offer to pray for them, to pray for God to heal them of their blindness. When many people admirably believe that they're themselves to be fearfully and wonderfully made and, don't, and are not in need of fixing. So it's actually offensive to a lot of people who have different disabilities to offer prayer because you're showing or saying that there's something wrong with the way that God made them when indeed a lot of them or a lot of people rather with disabilities feel comfortable in their own skin, comfortable in their in who they are with their disability. For a lot of people, it's even like uh, people of the deaf community. I'm just using deaf and blind people as an example, but it's often has shaped and formed their identity as well, too. And it's not a part of themselves that they're willing or deciding or wish to change. It's just who they are. So just be mindful if you're that person as well that look at people with disabilities as needing help or needing prayer um, and, and question that for, for yourself a little bit. Another example, I bring this one up because I remember it going, I want to say viral, but it was within a certain community, it was being talked about a lot online where there was like this woman, it seemed that she was going up to the altar for prayer and the pastor or the minister of that time decided to pray over her and her autistic son and pray for healing for her autistic son. And a lot of people of the autistic community and parents of children with autism took that as an offense um, instead of as a prayer that was actually supportive of that person at that time. So be mindful of that. So other things that um, harmful spiritual practice and spiritual bypassing, other impacts that it can lead to is lack of acceptance of your circumstance, which leads to an unhealthy way to deal with it or manage it. Um, and challenges with dealing with hardships, like always wanting to pray for some sort of a miracle to fix things instead of 
thinking of practical steps that you can take to actually solve the problem. Like another common example could be, let's just say I'm in debt. And instead of figuring out ways to maybe make more money, go back to school, get a better career, save, you know, all the list of things, I choose to pray for some miracle for God to like send a bag of money to my door to um, help me pay for this bill instead of thinking of, okay, what strategies and steps can I try first to help me solve this issue or solve this problem? That's just like a simple example, but you can imagine the many different ways in which we try to seek for a miracle. Uh, I'm not trying to, now I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't believe in miracles or ways that things just happen and divine alignment and divine timing comes in. But also question whether or not you're being realistic or being practical, rather, is a better word I would say, about what you can do to help solve or fix this problem. A lot of times, the practical steps is the easier steps or the route that we would have to take anyway as we're waiting for divine alignment to come through. So, of course, spiritual practices have their place in our spiritual journey and they are useful in helping us to remain grounded and balanced. But I encourage you to evaluate your practices. Is it helping you to live in alignment with your authentic self? Does it align with your core values and principles and beliefs? Do you feel good about it or is it causing you harm? So another sign of harm is the use of emotional manipulation. This is when someone tries to exploit your emotions in a negative way to psychologically control or influence you. People who do this will tend to evoke feelings of guilt, shame, or fear to get you to engage in certain behaviors or practices. The goal is forced compliance here. So this could look like guilt tripping. So guilt tripping is letting someone believe that God is angry at them or that they have sinned because they did not abide by a certain social norm. So examples of this could look like wearing a hat means that you aren't respecting God. I know in many churches, they have this belief that a woman has to cover their head in the eyes or sight of God. So in the church, the practice is that women cover their head. Another one could be you had sex outside of marriage. So this means that you've defiled your body and no longer fit for marriage. I'm not speaking against whether or not it's your personal spiritual belief to save or hold yourself to marriage. But a lot of times when you pay attention to the conversation around it, it is not healthy. So our bodies are biologically designed, for example, in a certain way that we are not, we naturally have these inclinations, thoughts, feelings when we or fostering love or whatever for someone. But in a lot of communities, there are a lot of unhealthy teachings around how to manage those feelings, those thoughts, emotions. I don't know if the manage is the best word to use. Uh, so forgive me if that's not the right way to say it, but you understand where I'm going here. So just to be mindful of that, I'm, for example, I remember there was this one book when I was in college that I read and it was called kiss dating goodbye and it was like a big deal in the christian community and it was all often that book was used to promote purity culture and uh it was a lot of talks about it was from a man i think the guy that wrote it was joshua harris and a lot of christian women ate this book up and one of the things i believe i got from the book was that being chaperoned like imagine you as an adult on a intimate relationship with someone that you're trying to have a future with or hope to have a future with and need another adult chaperone to be present because you can't trust yourself to be by yourself with another human being. I can go down a rabbit hole with that conversation. So I digress here. 
what I just want to point out is just being mindful of the ways in which we talk about our body and the ways in which we approach the conversation around sex and relationships. Another example could be fear-based tactics. So fear-based tactics are talking about divine punishment or some major consequence that a person will receive as a result of disobedience. So examples could be if you don't go to church every Sunday, then you open your mind up to being controlled by the devil. Or it could sound like if you don't commit your life to Jesus, then you're going to hell. Another example could be of emotional manipulation is love bombing. Love bombing is giving an overwhelming amount of approval, affection, admiration, or affirmation to establish control or dominance. This could be witnessed as giving a person a high level of position or leadership really quickly. Like they didn't have to do anything, earn it, or show that they have any merit to gain that leadership position. But because they want to gain manipulation and control over a specific individual, they are giving a lot of praise and affirmation and a lot of responsibility so that they could feel important within that community. Another example is being publicly ostracized. This could look like preaching about a private concern or private matter in church on Sunday. I've, I've had this happen a lot and I know people that it has happened to where maybe they're in a church and they came to the pastor with a personal matter or had a disagreement with the pastor. And then that following Sunday, the very message that pastor preaches about is directly related to what happened and what occurred in that conversation in a, at a private time. And there's also like the eyes and the look dead in your face as you're sitting in your pews. And like it's just very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. I, I Actually, this sadly still happens in many spiritual communities. And it's done as a way to kind of like shame you and embarrass you and to kind of, you know, wag a finger at you. Or it could be like maybe the church or the spiritual community is having a meeting about something and they bring certain issues up in regards to a private matter as a topic of discussion. So they didn't directly address it with you. They didn't come to have a conversation with you, but now it's a public discussion. So now I don't want you to overthink, wow, have I been in this position before, but hopefully through these examples that I've given, if you were a person in that position, this had maybe shed some light to you for where, or maybe even affirmation or validation for you that, yeah, that situation that occurred that I felt uncomfortable about or something in my spirit was rubbed the wrong way because I did not like the way that situation went down, the way it occurred, the way that person spoke to me. Uh, maybe this these examples help to serve as a way to validate you in those experiences that you were indeed right about the way that you were feeling. Um, I also wanted to do something to note that I say that um, I don't want this to also be one of those things where it's like people hear a thing and then it becomes a trending thing. And then everybody's uh, kind of like with narcissism, right? When we learn and first heard like in public in the social media arena about narcissism and everybody's like okay you're a narcissist and you're a nurse and you're a narcissist of course we will realize times where we see similar or patterns of behaviors in different people or in different circumstances but really I what I'm calling for here is for you to use wisdom and discernment before you jump to any one conclusion one and two offering you some validation and affirmation in those instances where you did experience these scenarios and things. Hope I'm making sense here. Uh, so here's the fourth one. Another example of harm is thought control. And this has to do with imposing a specific set of beliefs on an individual 
leaving little to no room for intellectual freedom. You are told what to think and how to believe. Your ability to critically think or question your beliefs is suppressed. That's what thought control look like. So church leaders will impose strict orders for all members to follow, for example. And sometimes there's even a censorship of information of what books that you should read or media that you should consume. I remember, for example, when Harry Potter came out, I remember it being talked about in many churches. And if you were in church at the time when Harry Potter came out, a lot of people believe that Harry Potter was evil and demonic. You shouldn't let your children be watching Harry Potter. Of course, it's just a fictitious story. But there were a lot of church members that were highly forbidding people are for having their children go out and watch the Harry Potter movie or consume the books. Another one I remember experiences. Um, I remember I went to this one church where at the time the belief was that going to movies was a sinful practice. And it was from that uh, Psalms verse, I think it's Psalms 1. And I'm just going to read it for context. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So that one part there <laughs> where it says sit in the seat of the scornful was the basis for their doctrine about not going to the movies because they believe going to the movies was like sitting in the seat of the scornful so if that church if you went to the movies you were looked down upon because you were sinning against god right now this tactic is being used a lot when it comes to discouraging others from exploring spiritual practices connected to their ancestry like african traditional religions i've been noticing this trend currently online where there's a lot of Christian leaders speaking out against people who are leaving church and go moving towards African traditional religions, or they might also be within the church and opening themselves up to practicing African traditional religion. So I know, one, I, I see this personally as a control and fear tactic. They're saying things like, oh, it's demonic, you're practicing witchcraft, you're opening yourself up to the devil. Now all these things are happening to you because you decided to go over there and practice this path. And a lot of the ministers and people that are saying this have not even taken the time out to study, uh, do their own research, to fully understand what practicing African traditional religion is all about. They're just going off of this notion to kind of inhibit others from going off and exploring their own spirituality. And I believe that this is coming from a place of fear on the ministers and church leaders part, because of course they don't want to lose church members. So in order to keep their members where they are, they're using a fear tactic to prohibit them from being able to go out and explore other spiritual interests. And I tend to feel a bit passionate about this because a lot of us as people of color um, and indigenous people are blind to the fact of where this is coming from. We don't know our history and why we have this thought. We don't realize that a lot of the demonization of our indigenous roots and our indigenous practices stems from racism and white supremacy values that was a way to kind of um I mean I think we all know that we all I will hopefully know this by now or if those of you who are listening to this podcast by now know that it was a way of brainwashing our ancestors so that they can be submissive 
to their ways and what they wanted to teach them. We all know this tactic or this trope in history. We've seen it. We've seen it played out time and time again. We are even seeing it play out in our present day. I just want you, I'm just encouraging you to have an open mind, so to speak, or to, to use your wisdom and your discernment in that understanding as well, too, is to just be wary of when people are demonizing African traditional religions. And I encourage you to then also do your own research around it and why that is, which this also leads into my fifth um, sign of harm is when there is an authoritarian leadership. So this can look like allowing one individual to hold a significant amount of power over a group of individuals. Some church have rules set up where you have to seek your pastor's permission for everything. Oh, well, of course, that's an exaggeration, but it feels like near everything. And that's another way that church leadership or a lot of spiritual communities that have leadership exert harm is that then they lead people to believe that they have no personal autonomy. They have no power to be able to make informed decisions over their lives and for themselves. That can look like seeking consultation from your pastor before you decide who to marry. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But when it's like a hard, fast rule where there's like you must or sometimes in the, even in occasions where you already decided who you would marry because you're an adult, you can choose for yourself. And then a pastor or a leader will kind of forbid you, so to speak, from marrying a specific individual or give you information to kind of discourage you from marrying an individual. So check in with the relationship that you have with the leadership of your community to know that it's a trusting and loving relationship and that they are looking out your best, for your best interests or whether or not it's a means to control. It could also look like telling you of how you should lead your life outside of the church. So there's a difference when someone is informing you of best practices to take when you're outside of the given spiritual community or meeting place. But then when it feels like it's a sense of control over every aspect of your life that takes place outside of your meeting space, whether or not it's church, home, wherever, that's something to also look towards as a red flag and, and look at the substance of what it is that they are exerting control about or giving you controlling advice about. So I hope that through these examples that I shared, lack of personal autonomy, encouraging you to engage in spiritual practices that are harmful, emotional manipulation, thought control, authoritative leadership, should help you to shed some light on what spiritual abuse looks like or what religious trauma looks like because a lot of times when you're in a community where certain things are commonly practiced and done you are blind to the examples of it you are blind to the evidence of it so hopefully listening to that if you are hopefully you're not but if you are in such a space this has helped to open your eyes to it and shed light to it so that you can make steps towards overcoming it and steps towards making a better choice for yourself so which leads me to my next thing that it's about steps you can take to help overcome religious trauma first as I said before it's always going to be about seeking mental health guidance and support but in the meantime here are some some practical steps that you can take one is walking away if you feel comfortable and safe to do so walk away 
of course, there are a lot of challenges that come with that experience. So I understand that it might not be the easiest thing to do or you might take some time to contemplate it because when you choose to walk away, yes, you might experience isolation. Yes, there are going to be people around you that are going to doubt you and talk you out of it, the naysayers. And yes, there are going to be people who are going to be forcing you or encouraging you to come back. But you have to know that that is a decision that you need to make. And if this is a decision you feel strongly about, stand firm on your decision. Another is to rebuild a new support system. Welcome away is a big step because you may also be losing your entire support system that came along with it. And this is what leads to feelings of isolation. This is why it is helpful to build a new support system. So if you're looking for that, or if you're in that space of building a new support system, what you can do is first get in touch with family and friends you have around you. They may be people that you haven't have had an opportunity to foster a relationship with yet. You might now have the opportunity, time, and space to begin to develop relationships with them. Another thing is to explore other spiritual communities within your neighborhood. Here's the thing too. Walking away from a toxic spiritual community doesn't necessarily mean that you have to give up your faith altogether. It could just mean that you're going to something adjacent. So it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, I'm Christian. Now I have to suddenly become Buddhist or atheist. You might not be in that space yet. And that's okay. It might just mean going to a different church. It doesn't necessarily have to mean you're jumping religions completely. I mean, for me, for example, I church hopped for a while, a while <laughs> before I fully decided to walk away from the church because that was a decision that I made for myself. But of course, if you haven't considered other spiritual, if you have been rather considering other spiritual paths, this might be a perfect time to try other spiritual communities out and feel what's in alignment with you. I visited Buddhist Sanjas as well. Sanjas or Sanjas, I'm sorry for the practice saying that word. Um, and I've also attended Baha'i meetings. That was like a part of my spiritual exploration process. I was willing to try religious communities that was outside of Christianity to get to know better, get to know myself better and to understand my own spiritual journey. Another thing you could try is to rebuild your identity because walking away, yes, is very scary because a lot of who we believe we are, a lot of what has shaped our identity sometimes and many times is wrapped up into our spiritual belief system. So it is understandable that you may be experiencing a loss of identity in this process. As you're rebuilding your identity, you can rediscover what your true values are. You may find that many of them still align, but you have a different perspective on what it means to you. So for example, being a Proverbs 31 woman was a big one for me. Uh, this scripture was used to set the standard for the type of wife a woman should be to her husband. So for me, it no longer aligned because it reinforces stereotypical gender roles, which no longer works and I feel no longer works in today's society. And not every woman has the same aspirations to become a wife and to tend to the household. And some women prefer not to be married or don't even want children. So another example for me was this idea of humility and humbleness. It was a Christian value that I've always had problems with personally. For me, what I got from it was the encouragement of blind obedience. Often I was told to be humble myself when I questioned 
authority or encourage critical thinking of religious doctrines that did not make sense to me. Even when I look up the definition of humble, like the, in the very definition, it means to be of low importance. So yeah, I don't think I need to say much more there. So all that to say that it's important that as you're experience, experiencing the loss of identity to reevaluate what your beliefs are, what your values are, because you might notice that through that loss of identity, that a lot of your beliefs or values or principle are shifting or have changed. Another example I can give you to help you rebuild your identity is to explore new interests. Because of certain toxic belief systems, you probably were inhibited from trying out certain activities that now, without those imposed limits, you can definitely get into, get into. So, for example, if I can go back in time, mine would be to get back into African dancing and Latin American dancing. Of course, when I remember <laughs> when I came home from school after joining the African dance club, I was so excited to tell my mom about it as a teenager. And she was like shocked. Like she was just like shocked. She was like, absolutely not. No, you have to go. You cannot continue because those beating of those drums, that's a demonic practice. You know, you're letting the devil in. You cannot do this. And, you know, I was an obedient child at the time. So I always listened to what my mom said. So I, I stopped. I didn't engage in the African dancing or the Latin American dance club after that, even though it was something that I loved and I was good at and I was passionate about it. Of course, I can get into it now, but now that I'm pressing on where to 40, I don't know if my hips can handle those movements anymore. But you might be in a place or space where there might be certain things that were of interest to you that now you have the opportunity to explore because you don't have those imposed limits on you. Another um, tip I have to offer you is to shift your mental framework. The beauty of walking away and rebuilding your identity is that it now leaves room for you to shift your mental framework to one that is suitable to where you are now in your journey. This can look like reevaluating your beliefs to see what is in alignment with your authentic self. So how can you do this? First, I would do this by making a list. You can make a simple list of all the beliefs you no longer are in alignment with or beliefs that you've always felt unsettled with and reflect on them. In your reflection, ask yourself, what feelings come up for me when I think of this belief and why? And how has this belief impacted my life? Another thing you can do with these lists of beliefs is that you can evaluate them. You can ask, what evidence do I have to support this belief? What real life experiences have I had to back this belief up? So when I say ask for evidence, because I know there are those beliefs where it's hard to find evidence for, like it could just be like, is God real, right? It's hard to say, you can go out in the street and find God. But say, for example, you're reflecting or evaluating whether or not God is in existence. It could be something like, oh, I prayed to God for X and that prayer was answered. So that affirmed for me that God exists, you know, or God does not exist. Whatever is up to you, I'm not telling you how or what to believe about God, but giving you an example of how you can look for evidence of a belief in your life when you cannot find concrete evidence. So another thing you can do is do some research. And in your researching, what you want to look for is where the, what was the historical and cultural context under which that ideology or belief came about? And is that belief relevant to today? Is it relevant to you in your life? Does it align with your values and your beliefs? So an example just to walk you through this process is that one belief I chose to reevaluate in my journey was the belief that the Bible is the holy and infallible written word of God. The Bible is given to humanity as a rule book for life. 
In my self-reflection of this belief, I realized that it brought up feelings of feeling stuck and stagnant. I felt forced to adopt a belief in the Bible that I didn't agree with. So because of this belief, there were moments in my life where I would use the Bible for everything to answer all of life's questions, but it often fell short of providing me with those answers. So in my evaluation, I didn't find evidence to support the belief that the Bible is indeed fallible or a rule book for everything that happens in my life. And upon further research, I was able to reframe my thinking of the meaning and purpose of the Bible. So I now see the Bible as a collection of books that reflect how a specific culture has evolved in understanding of God and the universe and their morality throughout time. All right. So another tip that I have to offer you is to manage the uncomfortable emotions that come up for you. When dealing with religious trauma, it is important to check in with what emotions are coming up for you and to take time to pause. Whether or not you are still a part of the same religious community that is inflicting a harm or you're choosing to walk away, uncomfortable feelings will come up. I mean, when you choose to walk away from a community, it isn't easy and may involve feelings of shame or a fear of being judged and even grief or even just coming into the realization that you may have experienced harm brings up feelings. So some tips I have to offer you is no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, it is important to have healthy ways to manage yourself when these feelings come up. So find a trusted friend or family member you can confide in to serve as a healthy outlet for you to release what you are feeling. Incorporate mindfulness and meditation into your daily practice. This can help you to remain grounded. Exercise or engaging in some type of physical activity regularly could be helpful. Studies have shown us, as you know, that when we hold, we hold stress in our muscles and tension in our muscles. So when you exercise, it gives you a way to release it. So you could do stretches, do some yoga, dancing, any kind of physical activity that's comfortable for you to enable you a place to release it. Also to practice self-compassion. Be easy on yourself. There's no wrong or right way to feel about what you are going through right now. And don't be too critical or hard on yourself. Allow yourself just to be. And lean into self-care as needed. Whatever self-care looks like for you, that could be journaling, doing an art activity, going on a solo dinner date, spa, drink tea. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Another tip that I have to give is to reclaim power over your personal story. When you take steps towards overcoming religious trauma, you reclaim power over your story. When unfortunate things happen in our life, it is easy to latch onto a victim mentality and feel that we have lost a sense of power over the direction of our lives. But when you reclaim the power of your story, you become the author of your life. And this is what can happen when you reclaim power over your story. You no longer have to feel like you're forced into a box. You can celebrate your newfound personal autonomy. You can now focus on your personal growth and your unique spiritual path without the pressure and noise from others. You can trust in yourself as a self-sovereign being, knowing that you can lean into your inner wisdom for guidance instead of feeling the need to seek outside validation. You can become empowered to express yourself freely and without judgment. You are able to live a life that is in alignment with who you know yourself to be. Reclaiming power over your story is simply acknowledging that you have free agency over your life and you have the power to make choices to propel your life forward. And the last tip I have for you is to seek support. Work with a spiritual life coach or a licensed mental health professional so that you can get the support that you need. A lot of times, and I find this often with people 
when it comes to like their mental health and their emotions, we often delay the support that we need. If, you know, our arm, you know, breaks off or we have a headache, we will easily like take medicine or medication to soothe our body, our physical body. But when it comes to our own mental health and our own spiritual well-being, we often delay support. But if you're in a place or space that you need support, go and get the help that you need. Some people choose to work with both professionals. Others choose to work on healing the trauma with a licensed professional first, which is what I recommend to do. Then shift into working with a spiritual life coach to rebuild the life that they desire to have since receiving the healing. So a therapist is a person that works with individuals by offering counseling that brings up events from the past in order to heal deep emotional wounds like trauma. People also seek therapy for support with mental health illnesses such as depression, anxiety, PTSD, bipolar disorder. And the goal of therapy is to heal these emotional wounds, manage your mental health, and process any unresolved trauma. A spiritual life coach like myself comes in to help you take a deeper and more holistic approach as you, towards your life as you tap into the power within so you can break free from the mental and emotional blocks holding you back from living a fulfilled life and achieving your goals and connecting to the divine. A spiritual life coach can help you by tapping into your spiritual beliefs and use those spiritual beliefs to guide you toward achieving the life that you desire. Listen, trauma is a very complex issue and remember your healing matters as you navigate the path to recovery consider seeking support from anyone whether or not it's someone a friend that you can confide it confide in a licensed professional or a coach building a new empowering identity reclaim your narrative and may your spiritual awakening journey be one of self-discovery and growth if you found this episode helpful please tune in next week for more Thank you for listening to today's episode. Love a Soulful Rebellion podcast? Well, here are a few ways that you can support. Write a raving review or leave a five-star rating wherever you are listening. Share this episode on social media or with a friend. Also, if you'd like to connect with me, Anika Nicole, you can shoot me a DM on Instagram at a Soulful Rebellion. Thanks again, and don't forget to subscribe so that you're notified as soon as the next episode is out.